I started to feel like I was somebody in your shadow. Right. You know, I was your wife. I was supportive. My goal in life was to serve you and the kids and other people and just be a servant-hearted leader. And yet I kept feeling more and more over those years that I was becoming invisible. Has your marriage been shattered by sexual betrayal? Are you wondering if there's any possible way to save your marriage, or even if you want to? Is there just the tiniest glimmer of hope that you and your spouse can work it out, but you have no clue how or where to start? Hello, and welcome to Beyond Broken Vows podcast. We're your hosts, Johnny and Emily Spiegelmeyer, two formerly seriously broken people who have been called by God to share our story of redemption and the hope that lies within every story that's fully surrendered to God. And we have been where you are, my friends. As a result of adultery fueled by pornography, the marriage vows we had exchanged as newlyweds were eventually shattered. However, we are here together to let you know that this devastation we experienced was actually a gift. On our show, we will be sharing the resources we found invaluable on our road to reconciliation and recovery. We'll tackle the topics of marriage, faith in God, infidelity, porn addiction, and recovery. We will also be taking questions from you, our awesome audience. So if you're ready to move from pain-filled todays into hope-filled tomorrows, grab your favorite beverage and spend a little time with us. We want you to know that your story matters and that there is hope for your marriage through Christ Jesus. Marriage is redeemed. Hearts renewed. On Beyond Broken Vows podcast. Hello and welcome back for another episode of Beyond Broken Vows podcast. Hello, everybody. As we mentioned last week, we'll be continuing our two-part discussion on when we don't feel like we're enough. Last week, I shared my thoughts about when I wasn't feeling that I was enough and it showed up through my low self-worth. And I shared with you what I discovered to be my true addiction, which was the high need for acceptance and approval. These are just two of the five characteristics that we outlined in last week's episode in what I called the five A's. If you haven't heard this episode yet, we encourage you to give it a listen. However, this week we're going to turn the mic the other direction to you, Emily, to hear your thoughts and feelings on what it means to you to feel like you're not enough. Yes, well, as a fallen human race, we have a tendency to compare ourselves to others in many ways. The way people look, what kind of clothes they wear or car they drive, you know, what job they have or what kind of house and neighborhood they live in. This comparison can lead to feelings of inadequacy or pridefulness. I imagine most, if not all of us, have or have had some degree of comparison working against us in how we feel about ourselves. Ladies, have you ever seen a woman in public and think to yourself, wow, she's flawlessly beautiful, or she has the perfect family, I can never match up to her, and then you instantly feel like you're not enough? Well, the Bible tells us in Galatians 6, 4, Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in their actions alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Or it could be the other way around. You notice someone and feel relieved that you don't look like her or have her situation. And instantly you feel better about yourself. Well, Romans 12, 3b says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So today we're going to explore the feeling of not being enough and how the destructive practice of comparison shaped my view of my self-worth 
before the discovery of Johnny's sexual betrayal, and then after it all came to light, and how it slowly eroded my personal identity throughout my life. Thank you, Emily. That all sounds very compelling, and we're ready to hear what you have to say. But before we do, would you please pray for us? Certainly. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for another opportunity to come and talk about these hard things together so that others can hear what we've been through and the hope that we have through you because you address everything, every shortcoming, every lie, every bad decision. You're there, Lord, in your scriptures to guide us. And we just ask that you would cover us today as we talk about not feeling enough. It's a very common thing among people to not feel that they're enough. But Father, we're your children and you love us and you created us with care, with worth, with purpose. And so we thank you for that. And we ask that you would help us to remember this as we talk through this topic today. And we just ask this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Emily. So when you were talking just a moment ago, you were mentioning about uh, feelings of low self-worth and uh, when you're not feeling like you were enough. Take us back into your younger, more formative years. What did that look like for you as you started living life and growing up? And what did not being enough look like? That's a good question. So, you know, I think every little kid has things about them that make them feel like they're not enough. You know, there's a lot of teasing that goes on. A lot of now bullying is a very prevalent thing in our culture. And, you know, you're just kind of awkward when you're little. <laughs> you haven't grown into yourself yet. Right. So I think that most people have things about themselves that they just don't particularly like as a child. And some of those for me, um, one of the earliest ones I can remember is getting pixie haircuts. For some reason, my mom and my oldest sister thought pixie haircuts on me were adorable, but I hated them. I really didn't like having my hair cut so short, and it really kind of fed into that whole feeling of looking like a boy. I was a girl, but I was also a tomboy, and you know, I didn't want to look like a boy. I just wanted to do the things that my brothers did, and you know, just having a pixie haircut just made me feel not very girly or feminine, and I didn't like them. So, you know, I did grow my hair out when I was able to take charge of my own <laughs> hairstyles, and I've had long hair ever since. Of course, you like long hair too. And yes, I also had glasses at a very young age. Uh, I don't remember if I got them in second grade, but I definitely know that third grade I was wearing glasses. And most kids that age don't have glasses. So, you know, I felt a little bit singled out in that way. And then, you know, it was the 70s. I grew up in the 70s. What a terrible decade for fashion. Yeah, nobody got out of that unscathed. Oh, no, it was horrible. <laughs> and so I had a big old perm. looked like I had an afro. It was terrible. And uh, that was in fifth grade. And, you know, I was pretty skinny. And so it just made me feel very gangly and not very cute like some of the other girls that I saw. Right. And, uh, of course, junior high, we won't even go into that because everybody feels awkward in junior high, right? <laughs> yes. But then it gets on to high school, and I was a late bloomer. I really was behind physically most of my peers, and I was very tall for my age. I was taller than a lot of the boys. They hadn't caught up yet. I uh, didn't start my period until I was 15. That was very traumatic for me. I was behind everyone, and nobody wants a period. That's no fun. But 
I wanted mine because I just felt like I wasn't really a woman, a girl without it. And so, you know, having my friends all go through that several years before made me feel like an outsider in that respect. And of course, I said I was skinny. In high school, I preferred the word slender, but I still was very slender and flat chested. And there was, um, there was some teasing that went on that I do remember feeling very traumatized by. I was even at church camp one year and I was on a top bunk and I was awake, but the girls down there on the floor, they were chatting together and they didn't know I was awake and they were talking about me and they were making fun of the fact that I didn't have any real boobs to speak of. And so, you know, that was very humiliating for me. I felt like I had really big feet. I needed bigger feet because I was tall, but I felt that they were too big and I didn't like them. And then I had a nose that had a little bump on it. Well, I thought it was huge. I'm sure it wasn't as big as I imagined it was, but it's from my Czechoslovakian heritage. And so there was like a bump on the bridge of my nose that I didn't like. And then, of course, I had freckles and pale skin and wished that I had, you know, tan, smooth skin like some of the other girls. You know, it's it's kind of these things that you just notice about other people around you that are not the same. Yes. And it can make you feel that difference can make you feel weird or odd or not as valuable. Right. You're just not like everybody else, so to speak. Right. I had gotten braces as a freshman, and I was actually very excited to have braces because it was in vogue then. But I didn't realize that I would have to have them on for four years. So I didn't get them off until after my senior pictures. And that was not fun. I wasn't in with the in crowd either. I was very well known in my school because I it was a small high school and I was on the basketball team and I was very good at sports. And so people were aware of who I was, but I was not with the crowd that was considered popular. You know, I wasn't a partier and my parents didn't have money. I was kind of like well known, but not popular, if that makes sense. And so all of these things just combined to make me feel that there was something not enough about me. Yes. It wasn't a serious issue for me. It didn't cause me depression or suicidal thoughts or, you know, didn't consume me. But it was always kind of there under the surface. It was kind of a simmering idea. And I was saved at age five. And I knew that my Lord and Savior loved me for who I was and created me. But I still had a feeling that, not that he made a mistake necessarily, but I was wishing that I looked different, that there were some things that were different about me. Yes. Emily, thank you so much for sharing about your, your younger years, your formative years, and then into high school. But that, as you described it, bumps us right up to the time where you and I meet. And then shortly after that, we get married. Mm -hmm. So how do these feelings, based on what you're going through then growing up, translate into life now that you're married to me? Well, I mean, you were head over heels in love with me. And so, of course, that felt really good. And I was a pretty girl. Everybody said I was a pretty girl. There were certain things about myself that I just didn't like. And so some of those things I took care of on my own, like the braces, they came off. When I met you, I was still wearing a retainer, but I had pretty straight, white, beautiful teeth at that point. And then, you know, my feet, I had grown into them. <laughs> they really weren't too big. They were just um, bigger than I had wanted them to be when I was younger. And you think they're cute. Yes. 
and you love to massage them. Mm -hmm. And so my feet, I do not hate my feet anymore. So thank you for that. As far as being freckled and having pale skin, I did tanning beds for a while in our early years of marriage. And I liked the way that made me feel like uh, my skin was healthy and vibrant looking. It just made me feel good. But of course, it's not the healthiest thing to do. So I didn't do that for very long. I just uh, transitioned over to tanning lotions, which is a little bit better. Um, I did get my nose fixed, but that was sort of an accidental benefit of getting surgery for a deviated septum. So I got this surgery to fix my nose inside, and the doctor was like, hey, we could scrape that bump off while we're at it. What do you think? I said, awesome. Right. <laughs> so he did that. So I did get a little bit of a contouring of my nose, and uh, that really helped my self-image. And the last thing that I did after we had gotten married, and I didn't do this before we got married because it was for me. It wasn't to attract attention from anybody. It was it was for my own self-esteem. I said I was a late bloomer, but I really didn't bloom at all. <laughs> and so I actually went ahead and got breast augmentation surgery. Yeah, I got a boob job. And that was something that you really didn't want me to do. Right. And we kind of had a lot of uh, tense moments discussing that. Yes. I finally won you over. I really, really, really wanted this surgery. So I did that. And that did help make me feel womanly. You know, I'd never felt feminine and womanly before. So that was a big step into feeling, you know, better about myself and how I looked in my clothes and feeling like I didn't look like a boy anymore. So that was pretty much what was going on in our early years of marriage. Right. Okay. Thank you. So those are all external body image feelings of, of inadequacy or not being enough and the comparison in there. I don't look like others. Maybe I don't look like somebody that I admire. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when we admire somebody, we want to emulate the best we can. But there comes a certain point, maybe physically, we realize that's just impossible. Mm -hmm. But moving forward now, there are going to be some feelings of not being enough that are internal. Right. How did that look inside of you? Well, internally, I was a pretty independent and strong-minded girl. And I really depended on my relationship with Jesus for most everything. I mean, I went through the molestation from two different people when I was young and then went through that date rape when I was a young adult. And those things could have cratered me. They could have really crushed the last shred of self-worth that I might have had, yes. but they didn't because I knew that God still loved me and that I was still worthy. So just within my own character traits growing up, and I don't know where this came from, but I was a perfectionist. I still am working on it. I'm a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> Are you though? I am nowhere near like I was before. That is true. But, you know, there's pros and cons to that. Absolutely there is. The pro that I can think of is that I was very, and I am very detail-oriented. Yes, and you being detail-oriented served us quite well throughout our entire marriage because you oversee our finances, mm -hmm. and you just have a natural gift to kind of see through all of those obstacles and challenges, but specifically because you have to have everything just so you don't miss a beat. You don't miss a thing. If there's something not there, you will find it. Right. So that really served us well in our financial stability through yep. the years. But how did that work against you? How did your perfectionism work against you? 
Yeah, well, there's more cons than pros, actually, with that character trait. Um, first of all, you know, not measuring up to perceived expectations. I don't even remember how young I was when this started, that I felt that my parents expected me to be perfect. I don't know where that came from. Um, I believed it throughout my entire childhood that they thought that I should be perfect. But that was something that I had put on myself. I realized later I had a high need to be perfect and I had a high need to be right. I hated to be wrong about anything. And so I, you know, defended my rightness at all costs. And we clashed with that in our marriage. And I actually learned from you how to not be right and be okay with it. Although you came to that through your brokenness as many things that I admired about you were not really what they seemed. But I did learn from you some things about not having to be right, that being in a close relationship was more important than being right. And I was also highly competitive, which served me well in sports, but not really otherwise. <laughs> Competition can be healthy, but you know there comes a point where you really kind of just need to let it go and enjoy the moment. So those were kind of the internal predispositions that I had during my life and during our marriage. Right. So Emily, as we were working up this episode, we were talking about the uh, timeline progression. And you mentioned that you felt that we were in this honeymoon phase up until about year 15. Tell us a little bit what you meant by that. Well, yeah, we were married for so many years, but it felt like we were still on our honeymoon. I said that for many, many years. And I remember thinking back after year 15 down the road a bit that, you know what? I think that the honeymoon came to an end <laughs> about year 15 because, I mean, I was a starry-eyed bride and I thought you hung the moon. You were an amazing husband. You were just so attentive to me and so polite, so chivalrous. Everything about you felt like it was for me. But after year 15, that started to change. So what was going on around that time that you say that things changed? Uh, well, our life was really busy at that point. I think that's about the time when we started homeschooling our kids. Yes. We had just had our third baby. Uh, you had just started your landscaping business. Right. So you went self-employed. And I closed down the daycare that I was running. So that created a lot more pressure on you to earn more of an income even though you were just starting out with your own business. And we actually had changed churches. Oh, yeah, we also had just bought a new house, right? That's correct. Yeah, so we were moving. It was a lot going on at that time. And, you know, looking back, I know that those pressures were really difficult on you because in those years, you didn't know how to handle your emotions in right. a healthy way. And so you were doing the things behind my back that were destructive to our marriage, but I, I wasn't aware of them. I just could sense that there was something different in our relationship. And I felt like I wasn't the center of your world anymore. That was hard for me. I was struggling to homeschool the kids and help you in your business and do all the things. And I just didn't feel like I was getting back the attention that I wanted and needed from you. I felt like at that time you were starting to put others before me, like everybody before me. 
people at church, our friends, just anybody you met, you know, on the street, you would stop and give somebody a ride or help them change their tire, whatever it was, which on one hand was very noble. And I was so proud of you for your generosity and your helpfulness. Um, on the other hand, it made me feel like I was last in line and I didn't really matter to you the way other people did. And now we know that that was part of your addiction, craving that attention and acceptance right. and approval from everybody else except for me. Right. And even though I was giving it to you, you weren't able to receive it. That's correct. And even though other people were giving it to you, you weren't able to receive it. So you just kept trying to get more and more and more. That's right. So that kept you very busy. That kept you working a lot. You were doing a lot of ministry. You were doing a lot of work. You worked long hours. Then you would have projects, mostly at home, which right. benefited me because you did some amazing remodeling of our homes. And I really loved that and appreciated that. But you also were so focused on it that I couldn't get your attention. I couldn't get you to stop long enough to pay attention to me and the kids to have family time or to do something different. You know, you were just so intent on your work. I also started to feel like the things I had to say weren't very important. You had this huge, gregarious personality. You could talk to anybody. You could meet somebody and you could have this conversation. It astounded me. I'm not like that. Yes. You know, it's really hard for me to start conversations. So when I did, there were some experiences that I had where I could see people's eyes like glancing off and not really paying attention. So I felt like that what I was saying wasn't very important. And you're a storyteller. So people really hung on your words, whether they wanted to hear that story or not. It was almost like they were compelled to listen because you were just so animated about everything that you said. I started to feel like I was somebody in your shadow. Right. You know, I was your wife. I was supportive. My goal in life was to serve you and the kids and other people and just be a servant-hearted leader. And yet I kept feeling more and more over those years that I was becoming invisible. So as the years started to go by and I felt more and more like you weren't as in tuned to me and paying attention to me, I started to try and get it out of you, like ask you for compliments. I would ask you about my hairstyle or whatever because you didn't say anything. I'd get a haircut or, you know, and you wouldn't even notice. And so I would draw that to your attention and and then you would compliment me, but it just was empty because if I have to mention it, it right. just doesn't mean much. So there was those years where I just felt like you weren't appreciating me anymore. You were taking me for granted. We talked about that through the yes. marriage. And we talked about things like your entitlement and your selfishness, not knowing that it was related to your addiction at all, just that there was some things that started to become evident in your behavior that made me feel like you were focusing more on yourself in pretty much every way than on me and the kids. Right. So by this time that you're talking about, would it be fair to say that it seemed like our relationship was more that of roommates rather than a committed married couple? Well, there was times that it felt like that. It wasn't strictly like that. You know, we had times in our marriage where we were very physically connected and had some good times in that respect. But mostly just that heart connection really wasn't there. And so, yes, it was more like in that respect, a roommate situation. We got along. We had fun together. 
but there was no real intimacy. There was no real heart connection. Right. And, and we covered that up with, with busyness. Right. My busyness, but you had also been working on your own business. Right. Yes, we were both very busy. So it was just one of those things where even though we tried to work on our marriage and we went to conferences and we, you know, did all the the things that you do to try to keep your marriage vibrant and alive, I think it was just doomed because of what was going on with you, mostly. Right. I had gotten into patterns of feeling like I wasn't enough and feeling neglected, feeling left out. In fact, I thought that for many years it was not fair that I felt like I was the bad guy in the family. You and the kids against mom because mom had standards and mom had rules. And even though you would verbalize to me your agreement of all of this, your actions weren't lining up with it. And you really wanted to be more like a kid than right. an adult a lot of times. It wasn't until later you discovered you really were raising four kids instead of the three <laughs> you gave birth to. That's true. So those years from about year 20, which of course was the year that you had your first adulterous relationship. Yes. Through the next 10 years, I was struggling to figure out what was going on. I was very confused much of the time. You had become even more distant, really focused on everything and everyone else. And I was trying to reach out to you and you weren't letting me. You had built this wall between us because you didn't want me finding out what was really going on inside. Right. And so when I tried to get close to you, you would kick me off your wall, so That's to speak, right. yep. with the five lies that we talked about in right. our previous episodes. I think that was seven and eight, where you would deflect and you would justify and make me feel like I was in the wrong somehow. So those were very difficult years. I didn't have the clarity of knowing what was going on with you internally from the outside. It just looked like you were slipping away from me. You're slipping out of my grasp. I couldn't hang on to you. And I was losing you. None of it made sense. No, it didn't. I couldn't figure it out. Yeah. So that is going to bring us right up to where we shift gears just a little bit into the point where I was discovered. And this opened up a whole new sense of not being enough. It's sort of change the perspective on the whole thing. Let's unfold that a little bit. Tell me what happened to you as far as your feelings of inadequacy after finding out not only that I was a porn addict, but that I had had three extramarital relationships. Well, <laughs> after discovery, in that moment when I found out what you'd been doing, all my fears about not being enough came true. Finding out that you were addicted to porn and had used it continuously in our marriage. And then for 11 years, you were having sex with other women. And then one of them was the cliche 20 years younger than you. But the worst part was the emotional attachment you had to them. There was one especially that was your longest term relationship. And you actually had thought you had fallen in love with her. We found out later through recovery that... You were really just loving yourself. It was a selfish love. But no wife wants to hear that their husband was in love with someone else. So it took us a long time to unwrap that and find the truth of it. And there were a lot of lies wrapped up in that. So, oh my goodness. I mean, 
Yeah. Talk about not feeling like you're enough. It brought all your actions and motives into question. What was true? What wasn't true? Were you this kind and thoughtful husband for real? Or were you just doing that all those years to throw me off the scent of your sin? Right. You know, and then I was like, okay, he prefers porn and adultery to me. And that brought out that comparison aspect, which it just threw me into this, wow, I'm not like all of those girls on the screen, or I'm not these women that you preferred to go out and be with. I felt like I wasn't enough to keep you happy and satisfied. So you had to go and do all these other things to get what you thought you needed. So yeah, it was devastating to my self-worth, thinking that, I don't know why you even stayed with me. If you wanted all of that out there, why were you even with me? And I just felt very worthless in your sight. Emily, thank you so much. I can see by the look in your eyes that this is all very painful. I can see that this isn't easy to talk about even now. But as we bring these personal feelings to an end, what did you conclude about all these comparisons and all of these feelings that, that you were not enough by what others brought to you, the teasing, the perceived expectations, and then myself not being completely there for you as a husband. What did you come to conclude? Well, it was a journey of recovery that taught me some things. And one of them was that keeping you happy and satisfied is actually not my job. Right. I really had taken that on as my mission in life, to serve you, to keep you happy, and that was actually misplaced. Right, because it's not wrong to want to do things to please me. It is not wrong for you to want to make me happy. That's natural in a committed relationship, mm -hmm. but you're saying that it's something even different. Yeah, it was overboard. <laughs> it was like, that was who I was becoming, was just Johnny's wife. I wasn't Emily anymore. I had lost my identity as an individual person. And I was just there to prop you up. I actually put you on a pedestal. And that was the wrong thing to do because that's an idol. And God dealt with me in that when all this came to light. That was one thing that he really impressed upon me was that all the years that I had put you on that pedestal and, and made you the center and the focus of my life, that was misplaced. I love my Jesus. I always have. But I allowed myself to put you first before him in many ways. And that was wrong. And you couldn't live up to it. That's right. <laughs> Nobody can. No, it was impossible. Right. So you came tumbling down off of that pedestal, and then where did that leave me? Right. But I did find in my recovery and my healing process that nothing that I had done would ever have been good enough for you and your brokenness. I couldn't do enough. It's impossible. And I didn't need to. You were never meant to be the one that met all my needs. Right. God's the one who's supposed to meet all your needs. That's correct. And so I was trying to meet my needs through you, and you were trying to meet your needs through pornography and getting acceptance and approval from others. So we were both misplacing our priorities of where we got our worth from. Right. Through your recovery, you found out that I am more than enough for you. 
<laughs> That's correct. Because I was able to sort through all of those lies and the things that I had told myself about you and what I needed from you or from others, all those lies had broken down. And once I was clear of them, I could see that not only were you now enough for me, but you always had been. Because if nothing else, you're a very consistent person. And so who you are now, aside from some of the changes that growth brings through maturity, you're the same Emily that I met, fell in love with, and married. And you were always enough for me. I just couldn't see it, and I couldn't internalize it. Right, but now you see yes. me clearly. And we do have that connection now. We have that heart connection, that intimate bond, and it's amazing. Because even as we look at each other right now across the microphone, and I hear you saying those words, our eyes are looking right at each other, and we're starting to tear a little. Yeah. Because it's, it's the real deal. It is real deal. And it feels so much different, really because of what we had to come through to get here. Right. I wish we hadn't had to go through that to get here. But going through that was a gift, because now we know something that we never knew before. We know of this true heart intimacy together that we had never had before. Right. So as we move forward, though, we talked about this a few episodes back about triggers. How do triggers figure into all this? Triggers are still there. Um, there were lots and lots of triggers early on. And through the first couple of years, the triggers were very painful, very consuming to me, especially when it came to comparison, comparing myself to the women on the screen or to the women that you were with, feeling that I wasn't enough and comparing myself to them. It was really tough. And sometimes I would let myself marinate on it and it would consume me. But now I know the truth. I kind of always in the back of my mind, knew the truth because I believed what Jesus said about me, but I wasn't accepting it. Now that I do, I know the truth and I accept the truth. Those triggers still come once in a while, but they're fewer and farther between. And when they do come, I know how to deal with them more quickly and I can take them and get them out of my head pretty much immediately. I don't know how long those will go on. Maybe forever. I don't know but they don't drag me down like they used to, usually, <laughs> mostly. I have to admit that sometimes, once in a while, there'll be one so bad that it takes me a minute. And just to tie off that whole thing about the breast implants that I had gotten back when I was 24 years old, well, I had those things for almost 30 years. And I had last couple of years before discovery felt like I wanted to get them removed because I was feeling like they were becoming toxic. I was a little worried that maybe they were leaking, which turned out to be true. And I was in some pain. I had some nerve pain in my arm. And um, I was researching to figure out how to go about getting those removed. But when you confessed all the things that you had been doing for those last 11 years, boy, I pushed to get that that surgery date on the calendar, because I didn't really care anymore what you thought about that. I didn't care what you thought about me in that regard, in my body, and how I looked, because you had just destroyed everything that I ever thought was true. And so I wanted to get that out for my own health and for my own peace of mind. 
And I did. About five months after discovery is when I had my surgery to remove the breast implants. I did worry about what I would look like afterwards. And you were reassuring me that it didn't matter that you loved me anyway. You always had. And in fact, you had told me from the very beginning of our marriage, even though I tested you over and over, you refused to say anything negative about my breasts. And so I got them out and you still love me and you still think I'm beautiful and I feel more beautiful. I feel natural. And they are actually doing some amazing things these days. <laughs> and I got a fat transfer, took fat from other areas, which I don't ha didn't have much, but they were able to find enough to replace the mess that I had just taken out. So I wasn't emotionally willing to go through being totally flat-chested again with scars this time. Part of me regrets ever having done it, even though I did enjoy them for many years. Why is that? Because I realized that I didn't trust God enough to accept the way he had made me. I wanted to change it. I wanted to change the way God made me, and I do regret that because he made me fearfully and wonderfully. In fact, Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16 say just that. It says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That is just such an incredible description of how much care and thought that God went through to create me and to create all of us. We're not accidents. We're not mistakes. We've heard people say, God doesn't make junk. God don't make no junk. God don't make no junk. He doesn't. He made me just the way he wanted me. And it took me many, many years to finally come to terms with that. And there's another verse that I want to bring up in Ephesians 2, verse 10. It says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So he had a work for me to do. It doesn't really matter to God what I look like on the outside. He sees the heart, like we mentioned before. And he had a work for me to do. In some ways, I feel like I failed him in that. But in other ways, I feel like this journey that we've been on has assured me that I was the one that needed to be in your life to introduce you to Jesus, first of all, and then to allow you the safe space to become free from your addictions. As a matter of fact, on that night that you had your girlfriends come over, you uh, FaceTimed in one of your other friends. Yes. And I remember you telling me she asked you this question. If God were to tell you before you knew anything about it that you were going to need to make a great sacrifice in order to save Johnny's life, would you do it? And I said yes. And I did it. And I'd do it again. Because God loved me enough to save me from my sins. And if he is going to use me to help save you from yours, I'm all in. And for that, I'm grateful. Because you have been instrumental through the entirety of the years that you and I have been together at pivotal points in my life. 
to bring stability, balance, healing, and even a little bit of salvation because of your relationship to Christ. There was enough there for you to be an agent of salvation to me twice. Right. And I'm grateful I could do that. Yes. Emily, thank you so much for taking the time to just sit and sort of empty yourself of all of these thoughts. This is not an easy thing, and I really can't imagine that there's a class out there that people sign up for that says, I want to tell people around the world about what it feels like when I feel inadequate. That's not a highly attended class, and I use that, that metaphorically, of course. Nobody really wants to do that. We're all so grateful that you did. I know that God will use this for his own great purposes and for his glory. So as we consider that very idea, I'm going to go ahead and close us in prayer. Father, thank you so much for giving Emily the boldness and the strength to empty herself of her own personal thoughts and feelings of how she wants to hold on and protect herself, that by just speaking these words into the microphone, you will send it, Lord, into the world. And we know that. Thank you for preparing Emily for such a time as this. Thank you, Lord, for making her an agent of salvation in my own life. She is not the author of it, but she can be an agent of it and has been. Thank you, Lord, for this time that you have brought us all together. And we pray, Lord, for those who are hearing these words and they resonate. And if they bring a little bit of pain or even some tears, that this would be a good thing. That this could be a day where they would make a change, where they would make a decision to either continue to trust in themselves or turn themselves completely over to you once and for all. And what we've come to understand is the surrender solution. Yes. Thank you, Father, for all that you've done for us. Thank you for your son, Jesus, that you gave to us. We can rely on him and be grateful for his salvation and his lordship in our lives. We trust him with that because he is worthy. And we ask this all in his mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Johnny. So to recap this very difficult episode, I just wanted to say that the destructive nature of comparison can lead a person to feeling like you're lesser or not enough, resulting in the loss of personal identity. We can find our identity in Christ. We don't have to worry about what others think of us. And we can see ourselves the way Jesus sees us. And therefore, not disdain what he's created. One last verse that I wanted to bring out is from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, the latter part of it. It says, The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. Remember, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and you're God's workmanship. Emily, you're absolutely right. So as we close off this episode for today, we'd like for you to take some time and pray about your feelings of inadequacy, how you find yourself trapped in the cycle of comparison. Ponder this information, take it to God, and ask him what he thinks. Ask him to talk to you a little bit about it and share with you. If you really want to hear from him, he promises that he'll talk with you. God may be trying to tell you about your worth and value and why you don't have to feel like you're not enough. You are enough because God made you 
enough. Please come back next week. We have a special guest. Her name is Elizabeth Spragans. She's a former adult entertainer, and she'll be sharing her insights about the porn industry, the effects it has on those viewing and those performing, and the effects on marriages where porn use is present. She will also share with us how Jesus rescued her and the call that he now has on her life. You are not going to want to miss that. So until next time, Marriage is Redeemed, Hearts Renewed, on Beyond Broken Vows podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. And before you go, if this podcast has encouraged you and you're feeling some hope for today, please share the show with someone else you know who is going through a similar situation and needs to know that they're not alone. One of the best ways you can help us reach more people is to leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to hit subscribe so that you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. And as always, we would love to hear questions from you that we can answer on our midweek show. Just email us at support at beyondbrokenvows.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.